0: All right, how's everybody doing? Great. Well, it is a great day to be uh, at church, am I right? It's a great day to be at church. You know, in both of our first two summers as a church, we uh, we did this series called the Summer Scripture Series. And um, it's where we kind of took, uh, we did a book study and I'm going to scoot this back out of the sunlight a little bit. We, we did a book study together, and we walked through um, a book of the Bible. So we spent about 12-ish weeks throughout the summer walking through a book of the Bible. And uh, we called it the, the Summer Scripture Series. And the first year was 1 Peter. And uh, last year, we walked through uh, Colossians, and, uh, and then we tagged on Philemon there at the very end. And so we, we just spent the whole summer sort of walking through these books, just just verse by verse, uh, at some points word by word. And I got to admit, it's one of my favorite series that we do at Legacy City because I, I really, I feel like, honestly, I feel like I'm a teacher at heart. Like sometimes, I've said this before, sometimes you guys like pull the preacher out of me, but I really feel like I, I am a teacher at heart and I really love just teaching the word of God and really digging into the word of God because uh, there's just something so so pure and something so amazing about it and, and so I really love to be able to share those, those principles and, and so back by popular demand we are going to spend the next uh, probably 12 to 14 weeks walking through a book of the Bible together we're going to go straight through the book of Hebrews are you ready for that church? Listen, I hope you're a little bit more hyped than that because we're going to be in this book for a while. We're going to be here for a while. We likely won't even finish it by the time summer is over if today is any indication on how long it's going to take us just to get through a few verses. But beginning today, uh, this is the word that God has given us and led us to, and so in my opinion, we need to be kind of hyped about it. There it is. Did you know? Did you know that you could be hyped at church? Like you can have a train horn in your car and you can honk that thing because you can be hyped at church. Uh, we say this all the time. Church is meant to be enjoyed and not endured, and we want to have fun. I'm having fun today. I'm enjoying myself, and I hope you are. We're outside on a beautiful spring morning, having church, being at the church. Even though there's no walls and there's no ceiling, this parking lot is the house of the Lord today. And we get to celebrate and we get to get hype and we get to have fun and we get to open the Word together. And so go ahead and open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1. Or if you picked up a scripture journal as you came in, uh, then open that to Hebrews chapter 1. Let me give you a little clarification on the scripture journals. Uh, We do have, I think we have more of those available. Uh, What they are is basically... Um, it's, I wish I had one up here for demonstration purposes, but it's a, it's a small book that has the entire text that we're going to go through, all of Hebrews is in it, and then on, uh, it's printed on one page and then on the opposite page there are lines for notes. And so it just alternates like that all the way throughout, it's in a nice little package and so we're encouraging you to grab one of those so that you can use those throughout this series to take notes and to follow along with the scripture, with the text. I understand some people don't use maybe the version that I'm teaching out of and maybe it would be helpful or beneficial for you to actually have that version in front of you, which is the, the ESV. And so uh, we do have those. Those are $5, but somebody has generously grace-bombed several of those. So if you don't have $5 with you today, but you still want one, There are some ones that are already paid for and ready for you to grab. So if you want one, uh, they are over there at the entrance. I think Billy is over there, uh, and he would be happy to hook you up with one of those and get you set up as we get started here this morning. And we'll have those for a few more weeks going forward as well. So I really do love, as I I mentioned, I really do love studying straight through books of the Bible because they are God's direct and, and perfectly communicated truths, and, and, so, and so we're reading that line by line and phrase by phrase, and we have no choice but to be impacted when we read it in its entirety. Uh, it's, it, it's called, it, his, word, his word is just so rich and, and it's, it's so alive. And, and it's incredible to me that after years and years of reading the word of God, after years and years of like just, just digging into it, there's I can still read something and get something brand new out of it. Even though I've read that same verse, same passage, dozens of times, it's so amazing how how living the Word is in that way, and how how the Holy Spirit speaks into our lives as we as we read it. And so, um, what we're going to be doing is called expository teaching. Some might call it exegetical teaching. Really, exegesis is what gets you to the place of expository. And all these are all words that you probably don't care about, and that's fine. Uh, but just to give you a heads up on what we're doing, that's the idea is going through something verse by verse and then laying out the principles that we find there. And so we're going to be going through it verse by verse over the course of the summer. And this really is honestly my, my favorite way to teach. And you'll notice that most of the time I do this, even if we're teaching topically and I choose a passage and we're reading through that passage, we still walk through it verse by verse. I, I'm not a big fan of kind of like cherry picking a verse, taking it out of, out of context, and then and then trying to give you like a principle based on that. I really like to go through things. In their context, and so this really is one of my favorite ways to teach because here's the thing: it's a lot easier to pick one or two verses, it's a lot easier to pick a topic and talk about what we think about those various things. It's a lot more difficult but more fruitful, I believe, to study this way. And and I say that having come off of it, just led you through several topical teaching series. I believe, of course, that there's a place for both in the church and both are beneficial. But my prayer and what I've been praying for uh, over the weeks leading up to this, my prayer is that this time will be fruitful for you and for our church as we study the book of Hebrews together. Some weeks we're simply going to read the text and we're going to walk through and we're going to just talk about it as we go. Some weeks God may show me me like a few points that we need to pull out of the text and it will be, it'll maybe resemble a little bit more of like a typical, you know, sort of three, four, five point sermon type situation. Uh, but either way, we're making our way through uh, these, this, this book of the Bible verse by verse and even word by word. And so uh, if you've never read Hebrews, you're going to get really, really, really acquainted with it. It's going to be awesome. And so hopefully you've already found Hebrews in your Bible uh, or in your scripture journal. Um, it's toward the back of your Bibles if you weren't familiar and you're trying to leaf through and figure out where Hebrews is. I know Hebrews doesn't get talked about very much. It's maybe a, a, a book that you maybe even haven't read or haven't experienced, and, and so um, a lot of people refrain from teaching on it, not because it's it's bad or it's uh, or it's it's not interesting. It's very interesting, uh, but the whole the whole book honestly refers a lot back to the Old Testament. It's really uh, it's really quite interesting. It quotes the Old Testament a ton, and so I think a lot of people just instead of going to a book that quotes another book just maybe they go back to the other book Uh, it is it is a little bit more difficult in that way but um, if you have your scripture journal it's really easy you just open it up and you're right there you're right where you need to be Um, but before you get into any book of the Bible it's important to begin to understand a few things about that particular book all right before we get into it it's important to understand a few things about what we're about to touch on so that we can properly understand it. Now, I'm not talking about like seminary-level understanding of the historical, cultural context behind the Scripture. I'm just talking about the basics. Who wrote it? Who are they writing it to? And when did they write it? That's as simple as that. These, these things are important because there is such a difference between uh, different works and different, different books of the Bible. Uh, God used, the Holy Spirit used people and 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 use their life experiences and use uh their their beginnings and where they came from and 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 how they came up and and what their their background was he used all of these things to to create these very interesting narratives from different people and so it's important to understand who's writing it and who they're writing it to and when did they write it for example there's a difference between paul's works and luke's works right like like Luke is a very detail-oriented guy. He lays everything out there. He gives us a chronological account of how everything went down. Really, Luke is a historian at heart. And and Paul, on the other hand, is is a preacher masquerading as an evangelist, right? That's what Paul is. And so Paul, his, his style of writing is very different. It's encouraging. It's rebuking right? He knows how to get you comfortable and then, like, really just stomp right on your toes and hit you where it hurts, right? Like, that's how Paul operates. He knows how to do that kind of thing. And so their writing is very different. It's, a, it's important to know who the author is. So who, who who wrote Hebrews? We don't know. It's important to know that, but we don't know. Um, it's it's a very interesting. We, we We have no idea, honestly. Scholars have speculated. There's a a few flimsy arguments for a couple of guys, but none of them really hold any real weight because we really just don't know. In Paul's letters, he begins by telling the reader who he is. Hey, I'm Paul. Here's my resume. Here's all the people I know. Here's all the things I've done. Here's where I've been. He lets them know, hey, I'm Paul. This is this is me, right? And and, and we're not getting that in Hebrews. We, we don't know who it is. He launches right in. Now, there are some clues along the way that do let us know that he was probably a Hellenistic Christian Jew, uh, meaning that he was a Jew that converted to Christianity and is probably from the Greco-Roman region, possibly Alexandria or Rome. And, and we assume this because of the way the author uses the Greek language uh, in, in, in in the original text and how he refers back to the Septuagint, which is the Septuagint is the, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. And so we can... Maybe assume, maybe assume that he is a a Hellenistic Jewish Christian, but that's still just assuming. So, no author. How about the audience? Okay, we can maybe get another get another one of the three. Maybe the audience. Well, it's entitled Hebrews, so let's start with that, right? Let's start with them. Yes, it does appear that it was written to Hebrews. In fact, the ancient uh, the, the, the ancient um, the ancient text, if you go back, says that at the top of this particular letter it says to the hebrews and so we just your bible probably just calls it hebrews but it is to the hebrews is really what it was originally entitled and so um we we don't know exactly who was written to uh we don't know if there was a group of people if there was a church if there was a uh who who exactly was getting in philippians we know that he wrote to the to the church of philippi right in Colossians, we know that this was written to the people in Colossae. In 1 and 2 Timothy, we know that this was a letter written to Timothy. Hebrews was written to an undisclosed group. Most likely, again, most likely, Hellenistic Jewish Christians. Uh, same as we speculated for the author, because it's uh, of the way that he used the Greek language. Uh, there's a level of understanding that's implied. Um, and, and we could dig more into that, but, but that would probably be a little bit too much. Okay, so 0 for 2. So we don't really know about the author. We don't really know about the the recipients. It's kind of vague on the recipients. So what about the time period? Can we get one of the three? There is actually a more solid clue in the text relating to this question than the others. The author mentions the Old Testament sacrificial system set up in Jerusalem as if it's still happening, as if it's currently occurring, which tells us that it probably was written sometime before 70 A.D., because that was the time whenever the Romans destroyed the temple in Jerusalem. And so we, we know that it was probably before that point because of the way he discusses and talks about it. He also talks about Timothy, and, and we, we kind of have a relation to, to that as well. And so it was probably written before 70 AD, at which point the sacrificial system for the Jewish people would have changed. Um, and so why is that important? It's important because uh, this was a time of extreme persecution of Christians. Right? This was a time, this was, I mean, in 78, the, the, the temple was destroyed and, and Christians were being, uh, being fed to lions, right? Like, this was a, a torturous time. This was a time that was very, very difficult for Christians. And that's going to come into play as we get deeper into the book and we realize uh, why the author is writing this to the people, uh, to these Hebrews, these possibly Hellenistic Jewish Christians. So, we don't know the name of the author. We don't know the location or the recipient's. Uh, or the exact time that it was written. Just that it couldn't be after this date. And you know what? That's okay. That's, that's, I know I started off with, you want to know these things because it helps. But this is okay. This is the word of God. If he saw fit in his divine providence not to reveal to us the human author or the intended audience, then we were evidently not meant to know these things. That's, that's, that's where I have to land. That's where I have to live. But, but we can still understand the book. Maybe he didn't reveal those things because he wanted us uh, to, he, he didn't want us to read the book differently than the Holy Spirit originally intended. Maybe that's why we didn't need to know these things, because we would maybe read into it differently than it was supposed to be read. But we can still understand the book. I think what is clear is that the book is written to the church. This is written to the church. I, I honestly view this book more as a sermon than a letter. Like, Paul wrote letters to churches that were then most likely read aloud and formatted into teaching sessions. But this honestly reads almost like a manuscript for a sermon to me. The The author is pulling out Old Testament scripture to support his claims and encourage the church. I, I believe... That the Hebrew, that that this book, that Hebrews is God's word to all Christians and we must allow these words that we're going to read together this summer to shape how we read the Old Testament in light of Christ's sacrificial work on the cross. And so that's what we're hoping for and that's what we're praying for as we get through this. Okay, enough with the boring stuff, right? Let's go to the text. Pastor, when are you going to tell me what I'm doing wrong and how to fix it? That's what we're looking for, right? Let, Let me just say this. Not every sermon has to be like that. Not every sermon has to be that way. Some sermons might just be intended to magnify God, to give us a bigger picture of who he is. Some sermons might be in place just to encourage you in your faith. You're standing firm. You're running the good race. Keep pursuing the Lord. Listen to me. Okay, this is just my opinion. But when a church only tells you what you're doing wrong and how to fix it, they're making you dependent on the church. We're not a self-help convention that's meeting in a hotel conference room, all right? We we, want to teach from the whole of scripture, and when we do that, we make you dependent on God. That's what we're trying to do here today. So today's not about what you're doing wrong. It's not about how to fix yourself. It's about Jesus. Eat. When when Spurgeon opened this word, when Spurgeon opened this text, the, the book of Hebrews on May 21st, 1882, he famously said this. He said, I have nothing to do tonight but to preach Jesus Christ. I want to open this word in the same way. I have nothing to do today but to preach Jesus Christ. The title of the message this morning, 15 minutes into it, the title of the message this morning is Jesus is better. Jesus is better. We're calling it Jesus is better for this message, but really if we look at the whole of of Hebrews, if we look all the way down the line, it could be the title of the whole series. The entire book of Hebrews is a sermon about the supremacy of Christ, uh, about how Jesus is better than basically anything you can imagine. Chapters one and two talk about Jesus being a better messenger than the prophets and the angels. Chapters 3 and 4 says Jesus is a better leader than Joshua and Moses. Chapters 5 through 7 assert that Jesus is a better high priest than Aaron or Levi. And and Jesus is a better covenant with better promises, sanctuary, and sacrifices, we're told in chapters 8 through 10. And then in chapters 11 through 13, we are then told, therefore, the author says that we should live a better life of hope, faith, and love. Jesus is better. Somebody make some noise if you believe that this morning. Jesus is better. All right, let's get to the text. We we might make it through four verses today. Let's go. All right, uh, so let's get to the text. We're just going to read. Let's read verses one through four. Again, if you have your Bibles, we're in Hebrews chapter one. We're just going to read verses one through four together, and then we're going to start, we're going to go through and start talking about it a little bit. Long ago, and many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Let me just pray one more time. God, I pray that you would speak to us through your word this morning. Holy Spirit, do things that I can't do. Speak into the the hearts of the people listening right now. I just pray that we would understand, that we would grasp, that we would begin to fathom how wonderful, amazing, beautiful, glorious Jesus Christ is here today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So he dives right in. No opening no greeting, no, hey, how you doing? It's like, I'm getting after it right now. We're, we're just skyrocketing to the top. We're jumping right into it. There, there's no expression of good wishes. Like when Paul opens a letter, he lets people know that he's been thinking about them, right? He lets people know, hey, hey, I'm Paul and I've been praying for you every day. I hope that we get to meet again. And I saw your friend, Timothy, and we've been praying together for you. Like he lets people know. He, he, he gives a little greeting, some salutations. And, and, and there's usually this, this thing that involves like mutual friendship we get none of that he gets right to business i i was thinking about this like what's the best part of a fireworks show finale right the grand finale is what you all look forward to like all the fireworks are going off and you're like what's happening back there how many do they have there's so many fireworks it's just going nuts it's going crazy and we love we love the grand finale this rapid fire of uh bursting fireworks it's so the whole show leads up to i feel like this author just gave us gave us a grand finale out of the gate like he comes he comes out guns a blazing and he just lights us up right away and and this is all one sentence in the hebrew everything we just read it's it's like three it's like three sentences that we're looking at but it's it's one in the hebrew and so he's just boom here it is he's letting us have it right away um we fly past the old testament prophets through the incarnation, past the cross, and then it bursts forth in the glory of Jesus' exaltation. This passage goes from creation to new creation and puts Jesus at the center of it all, right out of the gate. Jesus is supreme. Jesus is better. He's letting us know where he's going in this particular chapter. The passage begins with long ago. And and I can't read this passage and I'm going to I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess with some of you for a minute because I can't read this passage without thinking about yellow text on a black background scrolling. And, and, and so every time I read this, I actually read it as if it were Star Wars, like long ago and many times and in many ways. And I start just like thinking about it in that way. And so now some of you are going to start thinking about that and you're not going to be able to stop. So you're welcome. He's he's starting us off. Right? And he's taking us way, way, way back long ago. And, and and I just want you to know, church, the gospel narrative didn't start in the during the time of the Roman Empire. The gospel narrative didn't begin in the Roman Empire. It started long ago in the narratives of the Old Testament. In fact, the, the account of God's saving work in Jesus Christ begins at the very beginning of all creation. And and likewise. Jesus and his work on the cross was not the first time that God intervened in our history. While, while that was clearly the most significant, it, it, God has been active in setting the stage for Christ's incarnation since the beginning of time and has specifically been active through speaking. Long ago, and many times and in many ways, God has spoken to his people. He spoke to the prophets and his prophets spoke to the fathers. He spoke to the to the forefathers of our faith. He spoke to Moses at Sinai in thunder and lightning, and with, and with the voice of thunder, and, and to Elijah in a still small voice, and to Ezekiel by visions, and to Daniel by dreams. He spoke to Abram in human form, to Jacob as an angel. Sometimes God used different oracles. Uh, other times he he had this like personal back and forth Q and A, or, or or by this allegory that's being acted out or or by preaching or by signs and wonders and one time even through a donkey he spoke in many times and in many ways should show us how much God wants to communicate with us how much God wants to speak to us how much he wants to talk to us now in the old testament God spoke so clearly that it caused men and women to live, honestly, on a higher plane. Abraham had the faith to sacrifice his son. Moses had the faith to stand up to to Pharaoh. David to go against Goliath. Daniel to achieve and maintain integrity while in exile in Babylon. But God's communication to man was, was still fragmented and still lacking until he spoke with his Son through Jesus that God made his ultimate revelation to the world. So, I know people have asked me uh, over over the years. I've I've had several people talk to me and ask me about God speaking. It just just seems like God spoke so clearly in the Old Testament. He spoke, obviously, through Jesus and, and even in the New Testament. But why can't I hear God speak? Why can't I get this revelation from the Lord? And listen, it's a very fair question. It's a very fair question. Many of us have never heard an audible voice of God speaking to us. And it probably doesn't sound like Morgan Freeman, but that's the voice that comes to mind. But none of us have probably heard this, like, audible voice of God. Many, many of us probably haven't heard that speak, But God is speaking. God does want to speak to us. He proves it. And many times... And in many ways, he speaks. And then Jesus came and he continued to speak. And that was his big revelation. And you may be sitting there thinking, well, that's all good and nice and that's fine, but not me. God doesn't speak to me. I'm not, I'm not hearing it. I'm not, I'm not feeling it. It's not, it's not coming to me. But listen to me, church. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So, in fact, God still speaks. He still reveals himself to us. He still shows himself to us. And, and I want to help you this morning, church, to understand a little something about the revelation of the Lord, okay? There are essentially two types of revelation. The first is that is that God has spoken to us in nature. And listen, that is not a cop-out. I'm not talking about like the pretty sunsets that we Instagram and and, and say, like, God's masterpiece or anything like that. Like, that's that's not what I'm talking I'm talking about the revelation that Psalm 19 speaks to. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above the, proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. All right, so, so this is called general revelation. This is where he just reveals himself to us, through nature and all around us and, and, the Ro- and Romans also talks about it. In Romans 120, it says, For his invig- invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. And and while general uh, so- while general revelation points us to a higher power, it points us to God there's still a need to know and understand Christ and his gift of salvation. And for that, we get into personal, special revelation. And this is what he's talking about in Hebrews chapter 1. This is direct, verbal revelation that comes from the mouth of God. But listen to me, church. We have special revelation. The, The words of God right here in front of us now, the Bible... That is our special revelation. Scripture is our special revelation. This is God speaking to us. When when, when someone asks me and they say, hey, uh, I I can't just hear from the Lord. I haven't heard from the Lord. And my first question, my first ask back to them is have you been in the Word? Because this is one of the main ways that the Lord speaks to us. Because when Scripture speaks, God speaks. Some people just, I think, Get so stressed out because when they hear other people saying that God spoke to them, God told them, God revealed to them, it, it makes them feel like maybe they're less of a Christian because they're not getting that, they're not they're not feeling that, they're not seeing that. But, but here's what I need you to know, Church. I, I, I want you to, to to be careful and cautious and not compare. Your relationship with the Lord with the Lord to anyone else's. Okay? No, no, don't think for one minute because because Linda is hearing from the Lord that she is somehow more dialed in or, or just like this better Christian than you are. Sometimes, sometimes people hearing from the Lord is them hearing from themselves. They're really hearing their deepest desires and what they want to hear, to be honest. Their inner desires are coming out. Sometimes people hearing from the Lord, it might just be gas from Taco Bell the night before. You know what I'm saying? Like sometimes it's just hot air. They're not they're not really hearing anything. And listen, I'm not trying to I'm not trying to play down or discredit anyone hearing from the Lord, but what I what I do think is that we have to stop comparing ourselves to other people and instead start using Jesus as our measuring stick and guide. Yes, we fall short, but we're still striving to become more like him, and he's gonna honor that, and he still speaks through his word, through nature, and sometimes in other ways. Okay, so that was the first verse, and that was too All Alright, verse number two, let's get to the second verse. Uh, But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. Initially, God spoke through the prophets, and, and, and now he speaks through Jesus. Because Jesus is better than the prophets. So Jen and I uh, long distance dated uh, for our entire dating life for uh, a, a, year, a year and a half, uh, uh, like eighteen months of dating, and the six months of uh, of engagement. We were we were ten hours apart uh, at all times, and so um, and so we would talk on the phone a ton. And that was our best way of communicating, right? We would call each other at night, and we would talk, and uh, we'd spend time and, and, and doing that, and it worked great. It, it was it was it was a great form of communication. But but then when we actually got to see each other, when when I when I randomly jumped in my car and drove ten hours to spend a few days with her, like it was so much better. Like our communication was so much better, right? It, it was undeniably. Better, we could see each other, right? There's, there's in a conversation. There's body language is important, right? Like being able to see the other other person smile and see the other person's, you know, facial expressions and 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 really hear the inflection. Those things are those things are crucial and vital to a good conversation. It's a good communication. And so when we got together, we were able to, to just have better communication. It was more personal. God spoke through the prophets back then, and that was a good form of communication. But now we have Jesus, and now he speaks personally through Jesus. So now let's talk Jesus, because I said this is a sermon about Jesus. Because in the next two verses, we see seven facets of Christ explode before us. These verses are so theologically rich, I'm barely going to be able to scratch the surface. But I'm going to give you the seven, and then we're going to touch on them briefly. And these two verses, these next two verses... Jesus is noted as being an heir or an inheritor. He's a creator. He's a sustainer. He's a radiator, a representer, a purifier, and a ruler. That's what these this next verse and a half tells us. So let's get into it. But in these last days, he's spoken, uh, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Okay, so we know this about sons. Sons are naturally heirs of all things. They inherit what the father has. That's the way families were set up. Uh, We still do inheritance today as a basic concept, but it was much more of a concept in the time uh, of this writing. It was a way of life. Your goal was to build up enough wealth and land to leave a respectable inheritance for your son. Like That was your goal. That was what you strived after. If you were a father, that's what you were... Going for, that's that was your, your direction and your purpose in life. What does Jesus inherit? Everything. All of it. But here's what I want, and that's and that's awesome, and we could dig into that, but, but here's what I actually want you to focus in on. I want you to I want you to understand this. When we talk about inheritance, I want you to listen to what the jewel in the crown of his inheritance is in Ephesians 1:18. It says that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you one of the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Paul, who was writing this book in Ephesians, he was praying that the readers in Ephesus would understand how highly they were valued in Christ. Church, do you know that? Out of all of his inheritance, you are his precious treasure. Jesus tells a story in Matthew 13 that says uh, that the kingdom of heaven is is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and and, and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys the field. That's what Jesus did for you. You are his treasure. He values you so much that he went and gave everything he had, his life, to purchase your freedom, your salvation. He's the inheritor of everything but it's your salvation that he cares so deeply about. It's your salvation that that is so so deeply rooted in his mind. He's the inheritor of all the heavens and all the countless worlds and galaxies, but we are his treasure. Listen to me, church. The redeemed are worth more than the universe to our God. How incredible is that? That's a powerful truth today. But wait, but wait, there's more. It's like I'm in an infomercial here. There's more. In Romans 8, we are also called heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. So because Christ is the heir of all things and we live in him, we are the heirs of all things. What a powerful truth that we can see right here out of the gates in chapter 1, verse number 2. The passage goes on. here we go the passage goes on Uh, through whom also he created the world the word used here for world is ionios which is translated ages Jesus created the ages he was the agent by which all of space and time was created and this has always been such a powerful sentiment to me as a side note on this verse, and and he he created the world, he created the universe, he created the ages, and this is just, I mean, this almost feels like just tacked on, like he's the, this is Jesus, and God speaks to him now, and he's the heir of all things, and by the way, he created everything, all of time, all of space. The, the, uh, the late Cambridge physicist Stephen Hawking, who has been called the most brilliant theoretical physicist since Einstein, he said in a book uh, called A Brief History of Time that our galaxy is an average-sized spiral galaxy that looks to other galaxies like a swirl in a pastry roll, and that is over 100,000 light years across which is about 600 trillion miles. He said Uh, We now know that our galaxy is only one of some 100,000 million that can be seen using modern telescopes. Each galaxy itself containing some 100,000 million stars. It is commonly held that the average distance between these 100,000 million galaxies, each 600 trillion miles across and containing uh, 100,000 million stars, is 3 million light years. On top of that, the work of Edwin Hubble, uh, based on the Doppler effect, he has shown that all red-spectrum galaxies are moving away from us and that nearly all of them are red. Thus, the universe is constantly expanding. Some estimates say that the most distant galaxy is 8 billion light-years away and racing away at 200 million miles an hour. The author of Hebrews just says, by the way, he created the ages. I, I, I read all that. I tell you all that to, to just show you how amazing our God is. Through Christ, he created every speck of dust in the hundred thousand million galaxies in the universe. This, this, this unimaginable vast, vastness that is space. And how powerful he is! How amazing he is! Is it's a side note in this verse? It's just a little addendum to the backside of the verse. He created the galaxies. He created every atom, the the the, the sub microscopic solar system with their their quarks and their their leptons and their electrons and their neutrinos, none of which have any measurable size. Everything was created by him. All things substantial and all things insubstantial. And yet in the midst of that, he cares about us. He came to this earth that he created and died for us. He's not only the creator, but he's also the sustainer. I want to skip just a little into verse three. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He didn't just create a church. He holds it all together. Colossians 1:17 says, therefore he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And, and this isn't some passive, hold, like passively holding the universe together, like Atlas just sort of holding the dead weight of the world on his shoulders. That's not what we're talking about here. Jesus is actively holding all things together with the word of his power. The author doesn't use logos for, for, for word here, which is used for truth and revelation. He uses rima, which indicates a spoken word. There's, there's action to it. Just as the universe is called into existence by the word of God, it is held together and sustained by the word of God. The galaxies that are speeding away from us, he holds those together. The the neutrinos and the leptons, he holds those together. The, the world amidst panic and confusion and health scares. He still holds it together. Our life, no matter how busted and banged up it seems to be, he holds it together. I'm not not sure who this is for today. I'm not sure who needs to hear this today, but he sees you and he sees your situation. You are the most valuable part of Jesus's inheritance. He created all things, big and small, but yet he still knows and cares for you. He still sees you and he still loves you and he holds all things together. He sustains all things, including you and your life. So let the anxiety and the depression go away because he is there. Let the fear and the doubt go away because he is there and he cares. Let's go back to the beginning of verse 3 and catch up. Uh, He is the radiance of the glory of God. I don't know how many we're all I think that's like the fourth one. Uh, So we'll call it the fourth one. The fourth facet of the superiority of Christ is that he is a radiator. If you're, if you're not reading this out of the ESV like I am, your translation might say he is the reflection of the glory of God. But, but there's a very big difference between the two, reflection and radiating. And, and radiance is a far better translation of the word. I want you to think about the moon and the sun for a, se- for a second. The, the moon reflects light. I'll give you a science lesson for a minute. The moon reflects light, whereas the sun radiates it because it's the source. Jesus does not just reflect the glory of God. He is a part of it. Remember in Mark 9 on the Mount of Transfiguration when his clothes became radiant, immensely white, as as if no one on earth could have caused that, could have bleached them and made that happen. It was his own essential glory, but it was also the Father's. So he's a radiator. He radiates the glory of God. The next part says he is the exact imprint. So he's a radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus is the representer of God. This phrase that he uses here, uh, exact imprint, it refers to the image on a coin that that perfectly matches the die that made the coin. Right, it perfectly matches the It's the exact imprint. Jesus is completely the same in his being as the father. However, there is still this important distinction. Both exist separately. It's like the dye and its image. This is where we could really dig into the wonders of the Holy Trinity. Uh, because if we take these last two ideas, Jesus radiates the glory of God as a part of the source, one with the Father, and Jesus represents the Father as an exact imprint, you run into the paradox of the Trinity. We definitely don't have time for that discussion here today, if you would like to do lunch at some point. But but he radiates from the source and represents from a distance. The next part of verse 3 uh, talks about after making purification for sins. So Jesus is a purifier. And, and even as I wrote that word this week and, and I was thinking about this idea, I was, kind of, I was kind of like chuckling about this idea of Jesus as, as a purifier and I started thinking about air purifiers and, and diffusing essential oils, and, and it kept making me laugh because it's ridiculous to think about Jesus as an essential oil diffuser, but then I started thinking about what oils he would use. Well, there is frankincense and myrrh, of course, that are oils that he could have used. Um, I don't know. Maybe he would have used thieves because he pardoned the thief on the cross, and then I was like, that's a really bad dad joke, but I'm going to share it anyways. I don't know if he would have used oils, but it's really not the worst analogy. We have some essential oils at home that uh, we're not, we have some that we diffuse sometimes that cleans the air, purifies the air, makes it smell good and nice. Right? Takes away the stink of sweaty kids or a wet dog or the occasional burned meal. Takes those away and whatever aggressive smells enter the home, well, well, Jesus is a purifier. And he is purifying us from our sins with his blood. Whatever sins we have committed or will commit, his blood covers it. The trick is, like the essential oils, we have to take the lid off. We have to to put it in. The oil already smells good. It's ready to go, but we have to want to use it. Jesus' blood is ready to purify your sins and save you for eternity, but you have to step towards him and accept his gift. Let's hit on one, uh, the last one in verse three. This would be our last one. After making purification for sins, he's a great purifier. And he sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. Jesus is also ruler. Listen, the overarching significance here is that that the priests never sat down. Levitical priests were always standing because no sacrifice was ever complete, right? They had they had bells sewn into their robes so people could hear them moving inside the holy of holies uh, to make sure that they hadn't died. And they went back year after year, high priest after high priest, because the sacrifice was never finished. The work was never done. But Jesus, the high priest after the order of Melchizedek, sat down. He finished his work. He purified, and then it was done. He shouted from the cross, Tetelestai, it is finished. And then he sat down confidently, because the redemptive work was completed. Now he's ruling in exaltation. As prophesied from Psalm 110, it says, the Lord says to the Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. He is at the right hand. This is a place of honor. He's ruling over all things, holding all things together. But Romans 8.34 tells us, he's also praying for us in that spot. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. It says this, 8.34, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus, the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Wow. This glorious cosmic being, this creator, this sustainer, this purifier, this radiator, he is sitting at the right hand of God and he is praying for me. He's praying for you. He's interceding for us. He's praying on our behalf. When I mess up, he's praying. When I fall face first into sin, he's praying. When I'm sick, he's praying. This is our God. This is our Savior. Created all things. Holds all things together. Rules over all. Loves, pursues, prays for you and me. Come on, somebody. That gets me hyped. That is something we need to get excited about. Jesus is better than anything you can imagine. He's better than the bad relationship that you're still in. He's better than the addiction that you say you want out of, but you haven't made any steps toward yet. He's better than the retail therapy that's putting you further and further into debt. Jesus is better. And I wonder if you realize that maybe for the first time here today. Just how much better he is than whatever... The current God of your life is money, greed, sex, addictions, influence, power. We don't have time to talk about first four, which I love is Jesus is better than the angels. We'll hit that next time, but I do want to pray for us real quick before we go. So, so right where you are, we're just going to pray together. And, and nobody in Legacy City prays alone, so we're all going to pray this. If you don't know Jesus, if you don't know this amazing, glorious Jesus that I've been talking about, then you can know him today. We're going to pray together, and there's nothing special about these words. It's just the heart behind them. And so as you pray, as you as you. Release, and as you accept, that's where the heart change happens. So just pray along with me, God. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus. I believe he died and rose again to free me from my soul. Today, I accept that gift. Repent of my sin and ask you, Jesus, to be the Lord of my life. You just prayed that prayer for the very first time. All of heaven is celebrating. You are now a child of God, a joint heir with Christ. And we would love to celebrate with you as well. Let me offer a prayer to everybody and then city's going to come and give us some closing instructions. God, we love you so much. We thank you for what you've done in this parking lot here today. This has truly been the house of the Lord today. As we've opened your word, as we sang praise songs to your name, as we've as we had these times of prayer where we've lifted you up and magnified you. And God, I pray that everything that has happened here today has been pleasing to you. I pray that as we leave this place today, in just a few moments, that you would go with us, that you would bless the rest of our day and our week you bring us back safely next week. We love you so much. We thank you for working and moving in the hearts of your people. We thank you for anyone out here today or watching online that has given their life to you, and we pray that we would have an opportunity to come alongside them and help disciple them and grow them and begin to help move them more into the image of Jesus Christ, your son. In his name I pray. Amen.